Hey, welcome to the online ministry at Coastal Community Church. I want to thank you so much for checking us out, and we're so grateful that these sermons online are benefiting uh, your spiritual growth. Uh, but one of the things we have a deep conviction of at Coastal Community Church is that you're a part of a local church. And so uh, while we want these sermons to supplement your spiritual growth, we also want to encourage you to find a local church. So if you're in our community, we'd love for you to visit us. Check us out. We're on 101 Village Avenue in Yorktown, and uh, we have three service times on Sunday morning that you can see if you can be a part of our community. The service times are 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and so we'd love for you to visit us. Um, when you visit us this summer, we're going to be doing a, a new series called One, and uh, we're going to be taking our church body through uh, the letter of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that Paul writes a letter to the church of Corinth. And the letter is written because Paul is horrified to find out that this church is not unified together as a body um, to make Jesus Christ famous in their community. And I find that interesting because we we live in a culture where I think sometimes we're uh, shocked when a church is working in unity. And so that's what we want to be, a coastal community church. We want to be a church that works in unity uh, so that we can better uplift the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So I hope you'll join us for this new series as we go through 1 Corinthians. The series is called One. Good morning, Coastal Church. Only the first like few rows like heard me. Hey, um, we're going to get into the good stuff. We're really not going to mess around. So... Um, you got your Bibles, turn with me. We're continuing on with our one series. Turn in your Bibles to two passages. We're gonna look at Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Everybody turn there and also turn to 1 Corinthians chapter nine. 1 Corinthians chapter nine. We're gonna be looking at Acts 20, 24 first. Then we're gonna go to Acts chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter nine. So Acts chapter 20, verse 24. The apostle Paul had one mission, a single mission, it was one, he had one goal in his life, and that was to know Jesus Christ, Philippians 3.10. Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, but he had one mission. It's the same mission of that of Coastal Community Church and that of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to proclaim that gospel. So Acts chapter 20, verse 24, the apostle Paul, in talking to the Ephesian elders, he said this, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Let me read that again. Paul's single mission in his life was verse 24 of Acts chapter 20. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That verse summarizes 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and the mission and the goal of the apostle Paul. Now, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. We're going to get through this together. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. It's the earliest letter in the New Testament, the very first letter in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul says this in verse 1 of chapter 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? 
Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? It's the apostle Peter that he's referring to. Verse 6, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that the Lord is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. Verse 11, chapter 9. If we have sown spiritual things among you, it is too much if we reap material things from you. If others share this rightful claim on you, do we even more? Do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Verse 15, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have reward. But if, I, if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Verse 21, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I may win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. 
So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, least after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's pray. Precious Father, there's so much in this scripture and in this text. And there's no way we're gonna be able to get through it all, Lord God. But I pray, Lord God, now in the name of Jesus, that the words that are spoken, Lord God, would be from your spirit, using your word in the hearts and lives of each person here. I ask, Lord God, that you would change us. I ask, God, that you would transform us. I ask, Lord God, that you would speak to us. You still speak today. I pray that you would speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit and your word. And as always, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The Apostle Paul had one single mission or one single work, and it was in this life, and it was to tell others the gospel of Jesus Christ, to tell everyone he encountered. The mission of the church is the same. It's to tell others the gospel of Jesus Christ by making disciples. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, go into all the world, preach the gospel or, and make disciples or make disciples, teaching them to, baptizing them in the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The apostle Paul modeled this work in his life. And he wanted the church to follow suit. And he did it in a unique place because if you were here a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Sean in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 talked about the freedom that he had in Christ. That he had the freedom to, in Christian liberty, to be able to do certain things. And it's interesting because he continues on with this, but he says something very unique. The Apostle Paul takes that Christian freedom and submits himself to the gospel. He takes the Christian freedom that he's earned and that he has, and he submits it to the gospel. And so if you're taking notes, write this down, because for, him, for the Apostle Paul, there was one single mission, one important mission, and it should be that of ours today as Coastal Community Church. And what was the single mission Number one, that the gospel trumps our Christian rights. The gospel trumps our Christian rights. We might have the right to do certain things, but the Apostle Paul says, I don't do those things because I want to make sure I'm proclaiming the gospel. So I'll give you an example. Two weeks ago, Pastor Sean spoke about drinking. Although we have the freedom to drink, the, the Apostle Paul says, you know what, I don't do these things or eat meat or do these things because I don't want anything to get in the way of the gospel. Think about what people are known for. If I said Michael Phelps, you would say swimming. If I say, it pains me to say this, Russell Wilson, you would say Seahawks or football. That was for Pastor Sean. You would say quarterback. If I said LeBron James, you would say basketball. And if I talk about Tom Brady, you would talk about five Super Bowls and you would talk about football, right? You would talk about the, the fact that he's better than Russell Wilson. 
Did you see how I did that? That was just for Pastor Sean. All right. But you can't talk about LeBron James without talking about basketball. You can't talk about swimming and Michael, without, you talking about Michael Phelps without talking about swimming. And the Apostle Paul wanted to be known for that when you talk about the Apostle Paul, you want, he wanted everyone to think gospel. Gospel. Every time the Apostle Paul was discussing here in, in chapter 9, his entire life's mission was the gospel. So when the Apostle Paul is brought up, he wants everyone to attribute the Apostle Paul with the gospel. This is significant. Think about your life. When people talk about you, what do they come up with? Is it gospel? What about Pastor Andrew? Oh, he has five kids. What about Pastor Sean? What about your life? When you think about certain people, and here's the deal. The Apostle Paul said, I've given up all my Christian rights for the sake of the gospel. Think about what, here, he's, all he's doing is following suit to what Jesus Christ did. When Jesus Christ came to the earth, he had all of the rights and privileges of heaven, yet he gave them up for the sake of what? To live out the gospel, to be the good news, to transform lives, to die on the cross for our sins. He gave up all the glory of heaven, and he could have been born to the house of Caesar. He could have been born as the most powerful person on earth, but yet he came as a servant, born to a lowly carpenter, to the Virgin Mary in a stable. Why? For the sake of our salvation, for the glory of God. Now, let me go through this. Verses 1 through 14, we're going to blow through them really fast. Here we go. Number one, the Apostle Paul had the freedom to minister as an apostle, verses 1 through 7. There's a lot there. He saw the risen Jesus. He was an apostle. People were challenging him on his apostleship, but he had the freedom to minister as an apostle. Number two, or letter B, he had the freedom to receive the expected payment of an apostle. He had the freedom to expect that. The apostle Peter did. He received payment for being an apostle, for proclaiming the gospel to be provided for by the churches. He had the freedom to receive that payment. Letter C, he had the freedom to be provided for, not just, not just provided for, but generously provided for. In verse 14, they could get their living by the gospel, proclaiming the gospel. It's kind of what, it's what our pastors do here. You support the pastors, the work of the ministry. And what happens is we don't have to get another job now, the Apostle Paul had that same freedom to receive that. Letter D, he had the freedom not to receive or be provided for. See, the Apostle Paul, true freedom is not the freedom that we have that we can do something. It's also the freedom that we have not to do something. So here it is. True freedom means that I have the freedom to partake or I have the freedom not to partake. Now, the Apostle Paul didn't partake of his freedom of his Christian right to receive payment for proclaiming the gospel because he wanted to be known for nothing but the gospel. 
It's one of the reasons why my wife and I early on decided that we weren't going to sell Amway or whatever, oils or vitamins or any of that kind of stuff, because we only wanted to be known as the couple of the gospel. We just want to be able to be single-focused, Single focus, our choice, other pastors do it, pastors' wives and all of that, I'm not condemning any of that, I'm just saying we're single focused, probably because we're not as smart as everybody else to make the money, I don't know. But it's that idea, we have the freedom to partake, but we also have the freedom not to partake. See, what's interesting is a lot of Christians today say, hey, I have the freedom to drink, so therefore I'm going to drink. And my response is, do you have the freedom not to drink? Oh. Whoa, whoa. I have the freedom to be able to do this because I'm, I'm a Christian and I'm free to do this. And they almost use it as a means to try to prove to themselves that they're free in Christ to participate in something that's violating their conscience. No, see, I have the freedom to do things and I have the freedom not to do things because I'm truly free. If I make you do something that you don't want to do, you're not really free. See, we were slaves to sin, but Christ has set us free. And the Apostle Paul says, hey, I have Christian rights as an apostle, as a Christian, and I'm free to eat and drink what I want. I'm free to to receive money, and I'm also free not to. And so the Apostle Paul, what he would do is he would go and he would work for several years, make money, put it in a bank account, and then he would go on his missionary journeys. So the gospel ministry would stop for those two years, except for his little area of where he was making tents, so that he could support himself for the gospel. Now, praise be to God, the the, Pastor Sean, I almost called him the Apostle Sean. (laughs) He probably is when you see him. But... The Pastor Sean, thank God that you, through your generosity, through the tithes and offerings of the people, give the money to the church, and the church then has found it in its way to be able to support him so that he doesn't have to stop the work of the ministry to go get a job and then come back to the work of the ministry so that he can do that, but he can work uninterrupted the gospel, and he can work the gospel ministry throughout his time here at Coastal Community Church as our pastor. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Praise God. Not every church can do that. We praise God that he can. See, true freedom means I have the freedom to partake or I have the freedom not to partake. The Apostle Paul did not partake. So he said, for me, I want the gospel to trump my Christian rights. Secondly, the gospel trumps our freedom in life. So the Apostle Paul said, not only does it trump my Christian rights that I have, but it trumps all my freedom that I have. Once again, he used himself as the example in verses 15 through 22. Look at verse 15. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I'd rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. That sounds free, doesn't it? For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel." See, the gospel trumped his freedom in life. He made decisions based upon the proclamation of the gospel in his life. He wanted to proclaim the gospel. He wanted to proclaim the gospel. And then he starts to get very specific. I'm going to proclaim the gospel as a servant. Not as a master, not as a Lord, but as a servant. He wanted to proclaim the gospel to the Jews. He became a Jew. To proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, he became a Gentile. He proclaimed the gospel to the weak. He became weak. 
to proclaim the gospel. By whatever means necessary, I'm going to proclaim the gospel. You would look at this and go, wow, he really liked that gospel. Why? Because the Apostle Paul knew what it was like to not have Christ and to have the gospel. He understood what it was. He understood what it meant. And so therefore, true freedom means that I get to choose to be a bond slave for Christ. Romans 1.1, when the Apostle Paul writes Romans 1.1, he says, I am a bond servant to Jesus Christ. You know what a bond servant is? A bond servant is someone who the master grants their freedom And that servant who is now free, that slave, he was born into slavery, that has now been set free, can do whatever he wants. He goes back to the master and says, I want to sell myself to you as a bondservant. I want to give my life as a bondservant to you. No longer slave, but I'm choosing now to be a bondservant to you. And that's what the apostle Paul did to Jesus Christ. Hmm, Every time I think of that idea of a bondservant, I think of the story in the 1849, there was a British man who came back from California. Having made his fortune in gold, he came back with a bag of gold that he had mined and worked so hard for. As he was coming back to England, he stopped over in New Orleans. And as he was in New Orleans, he realized that there was slavery still happening and there was the slave market that he found himself in. And so in his dirty mining clothes, gold mining clothes, as he's going back to England, he sees people being bought and sold, and it disgusts him. Because England had, had forbid slavery and it outlawed slavery years and years and years prior. And as he's watching what's going on, he starts to get infuriated with what's happening. And finally, he hears sold, and then they bring this next person, this young girl, up, angry and fighting and hating everyone and everything. And he's watching what's happening as people are bidding on a human life, and he realized, this should not be. I can do something about this. And so finally, as the final bid went out, he bid higher. When looking at him and his appearance, the auctioneer kind of looked at him and and, and asked him to come over and he opened up his bag of gold and he poured out half of his gold for the purchase of this woman. And then without a word, she walks off the stage, spits at him in the face and says, I hate you. He wipes his face. He grabs her hand and then he starts walking through the streets looking for something. And as he's looking through the streets, he finally comes to this door where there's a clerk in this office, and he walks in, he says, please wait here. And he walks in, and he's having this conversation. The woman can't hear what's going on, but they start getting louder and louder, and finally the man says, but it's the law. And so the the miner pulls out the rest of his gold, and he pours it on top of the table. She watches him pour out. The clerk looks, smiles, walks in the back, comes out with a piece of paper, signs some things, he signs some things, he rolls up the piece of paper and he walks outside. And he takes his paper and he hands it to the woman 
And before he can hand it to her, she spits on him again and says, I hate you. And he hands her the the papers and he says, you're free. You can do whatever you want. These papers are your freedom. And as he turns to walk and leave and walk down the street, the woman on standing there holding her freedom in hand, almost unaware of what had happened, realized that she could go and do whatever she wanted for the first time in her life. And she runs over to the man, falling down with tears streaming down her face, saying, you bought me to set me free? All I want to do is serve you. That is what a bondservant is. See, Jesus Christ came to this earth. He died on the cross for our sins and he bought us with his life to set us free. And the response then for us as the church is to serve him. The apostle Paul's not doing anything that that Christ didn't do for us. We look at this and go, wow, man, the apostle Paul's giving so much up. He's not giving anything up. He was given everything. He recognized that Christ purchased him to set him free. And the apostle Paul says, now all I want to do is serve you, Jesus. Because number three, the gospel trumps our ambitions. What are the ambitions you have in life? The gospel is more than your happiness. The gospel is more than the struggle that you're going through right now. The gospel is greater than anything in your life. It's more than your rights. Well, I have rights to be happy as an American. No. I've given up those rights for the sake of the gospel. The Apostle Paul's saying, I've given it all up for the sake of the gospel. I want one thing, and that's to proclaim the gospel to everyone. That's my ambition. He uses the example of the athlete. He says, runners run, but only one receives the prize. Discipline like a runner for the prize. Have you ever seen those people that are training? If you ask an Olympic athlete at four in the morning when they're getting up for training, do they like what's happening in that moment? They would say resoundedly, no. But when you ask them in that moment, was it worth it when they're standing on the podium receiving their medal? Was it worth it? They would look back and say, yes. So they discipline in preparation for the prize. They exercise self-control. Self-control in their marriage. Although I have the freedom to do this, I'm not going to. Although I probably could go sin, I'm not going to. Marriages, let me share something with you. You might even have the, the Christian right because your spouse has cheated on you to divorce your spouse. And I'm saying here, please stay with your spouse. Demonstrate to the world that the gospel is about forgiveness. It's about redemption. It's about restoration. Because the gospel is more valuable than the right and the freedom that you have. This is the gospel. It's worth it. And so we self-control. We we live in self-control. Although I can watch this R-rated movie or I can watch this, I'm not going to because I don't want to for the gospel's sake. I don't want my message to be blurred. 
I want to be known as a person who stands and lives for the gospel. So I discipline myself to finish for the prize. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3.14, I run so that I may win the prize. Forgetting those things which are behind. See, true freedom means I voluntarily work to win the prize. Nobody has to coax me. Nobody has to manipulate me. Nobody has to give me incentive. The freedom that Christ has given me is my incentive enough? The fact that he died and set me free from my sins. I was a slave to sin. Now I'm free. Guess what? That's incentive enough. And although I can do the things that I feel like I, 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 I'm free to do, I don't do them because the gospel is more valuable to me. And making disciples is more valuable to me than making money, than having power. I mean, what are you going to be known for? going to look back at your life and say, man, that guy really cared about his money. Can't take it with you. So true freedom means I voluntarily work to win the prize. What's the prize? Everybody turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. If this is not your prize, then you will be disappointed if you get to, when you get to heaven. If this is not your prize, then the gospel won't be the most important thing in your life. If this is not your prize, Revelation chapter three, verse 21. Let me read it. The one who conquers, another word for conquers, conquers, another word could be the one who overcomes, the one who endures, the one who runs the race, the one who conquers, the one who finishes the race for the prize. Jesus is talking. He says, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Okay, whoa. Did you just catch that? Okay, I'm gonna read it again because this is amazing. Jesus is saying the one who conquers or the one who endures, the one who overcomes, I will grant him or her to sit with me on my throne. That those who live their life for the gospel get to sit with Jesus on his throne. That's what I want to be. That's where I want to go. There's nothing greater. Hey, listen, what makes heaven so great? It's Jesus. If you're, man, my loved ones and all this other stuff, yeah, 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 yeah I don't care. I just want to see Jesus. Jesus, that's the prize. If there's any other prize in your life, then you're missing. You're going to be sorely disappointed with heaven. To sit on the throne with Jesus is the greatest prize ever. 
And Jesus would say, come, sit with me. I remember going to game three of the Miami Heat and Dallas Mavericks years ago. This was when Shaq was on the Heat and Dwayne Wade was young and actually had knees and could play. And, um, and so I remember going to game three. And so they were down 2-0. And we all go to this game, and I had these really ridiculous seats that someone gave me. It was ridiculous. We're three rows back at, like, center court. So, I mean, it's, like, amazing. I could feel, like, when they come out and the flames go from the heat, and I could feel it on my face. I think it even burned some of my eyebrow hair because it was so awesome. And everybody, it was energized, and it was charged, and everybody was excited and everybody's screaming for the heat. There's like a few like dumb people cheering for Dallas at the time. But, but anyway, but everyone's cheering for the heat. And it's just this electric moment. And I remember the games going back and forth, back and forth. This was critical. And I remember the final shot. I'll never forget it. And Gary Payton hadn't made a shot all game. And he gets to the free throw line, extended, and he's right at the elbow. And he gets the ball, and he's got a wide open shot, and he takes it. And everyone in the arena goes, because he hadn't made a shot all game. And you're like, Gary, don't take it. And he's going to take it. And we're all holding our breath. And he takes it, and he comes up. And it's this beautiful form. And the ball just goes. And we're watching it. We're like, go in, go in. And it goes through the rim. And it hits the net. And everyone in that moment screams at the top of their lungs. I still have hearing loss. And it was, I mean, going nuts. And everybody's high-fiving with people you don't know, and you're hugging people, and you're kissing. It was really weird. And, and you're just, everybody's rejoicing, and there's this moment of sheer elation. The only thing that would have been better would have been me to be able to run out on the court and Gary Payton go, stand right here with me. Be with me for the interviews and everything. This is my man, Andrew. I'd have been that guy. Yeah, that's me. That'd have been the only thing that would have made it better. And I thought for a moment, I thought, I wonder if this is what heaven's going to be like when we see Jesus. I sure hope so. I hope it's, it's going to be that times 10 million. When every tribe, tongue, and nation, and Jesus, the Lamb of God, comes out, the elation, the joy... And Jesus is saying, and then he comes and sits on his throne, and Jesus is saying, guess what? For those that overcome, those that win the prize, you get to sit with me on the throne. Translated, you get to be next to me for the interview. It's my man, Andrew. I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> I'm with him. See, the prize is to sit with the throne, sit on the throne with Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul was so enamored with the gospel. So what is the gospel? Let me give it to you quickly. Jesus is God. He's not a God. He's not a type of God. He is God. God in flesh. God. If you're, if you're a Mormon and you're here, Jesus and Satan weren't brothers 
And they didn't come to God the Father with a plan of salvation and God accepted him and made him a God. He is God. Secondly, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. The sins of mankind, he died on the cross. He paid for our sins. Number three, Jesus bodily rose from the dead. It wasn't some spiritual thing. It wasn't some mystical thing. Jesus physically rose from the dead. And most people here would go, yeah, I believe that. Letter D, every person must believe that. Romans 10, 8 and 9, 9 and 8 through 10 says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then thou shalt be saved. And all of us would go, yeah, we believe that. But here's the second catch, and receive, receive. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, Christ, to them he gave the power to become children of God. So not only do I have to believe it, but I have to receive that, the work and the person of Jesus Christ into my life. Most people say, yeah, I believe that. Have you received it? Well, no, not yet. I remember we were having a conversation and my son was, um, we were having, a, I was having a conversation with, he was having a conversation with one of his friends and he was just very honest. And so my, my son shared what the gospel was. Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus rose from the dead. And, and he says, if you believe that, and his friend goes, yeah, I believe that. And then, then he says, have you received that? And he goes, nah, I don't think I have. And my, my, my brother, my son goes, oh, bummer, man. That means you're going to hell. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes, right? So it's the idea of receiving it into your life. Oh, some time ago. He's older now. The work and the person of Jesus Christ into their life. It's why we take communion. Why is it so important to be into our life? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him, no, whoever believes in, in, literally in the Greek, it actually is into him. If Jesus isn't into your life, Bummer. Into. That's why we take communion into our life. That's why it represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We're taking Jesus, it's the symbol of Jesus, into our life. Jesus is coming into our life. He's come into our life to pay for our sins. It's that symbol, and we do it until Jesus returns, feeds us and nourishes us spiritually. Is Jesus into your life? I don't look at good food and go, wow, that's great. Smells good too. I believe on that food that it can satisfy and it's great and I walk away. No, I see that food and I actually eat it into my life. Same with Christ. Christ needs to be into your life. Lots of people are engaged to Jesus, but until you say, I do and believe and receive, he's not into your life. It's time to move from the engagement to the marriage. Commit already. Christ into your life. And the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, communicates that this, if I preach anything else, then I should be disqualified. Translated, if there's any other gospel that anybody preaches, let them be accursed. 
When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? If you truly believe the gospel, we must go and tell it until every tribe, tongue, and nation hears this life-changing message. I believe that there are people here that have never received Jesus Christ. I believe that you're here today and you maybe have been coming for a while and you've never received him. And it's my prayer in the next few moments that you receive him into your life. And it's very, very, it's very simple, but it'll just cost you your life. He's just gonna set you free from all your sin. And it's kind of what Coastal exists for. See, we're not a, a country club with Miss Elena doing all these cool things for our kids and just look in the window and she's like, oh, and all the kids are like, oh. It's, it's not just that. We don't exist just for coming together and seeing each other and having great coffee, although our coffee is good at Starbucks. And although there's this time and coming together and people worship God and, and that's wonderful, it's not why we come together. We come together for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not a country club. This is a triage unit. It means that we've been sick and we've been helped, those of us that are getting well because of the gospel of Jesus Christ into our life. And if you're here and you are sick, you can be made well because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what you've done, Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins. But you don't understand what I've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. I know what he's done. He died on the cross and he paid for your sins. And if you come to Jesus Christ, he will save you, forgive you, and set you free. And you need to believe and receive that today. And so here's, here's the deal. We're gonna bow our heads and we're gonna close our eyes. But before we do that, before we do that, if you're a Christian, I need you to do two things. One, I need you to pray right now because I think God's gonna save some people here today. Secondly, if you're a Christian, don't just pray. Go home, talk to your neighbors about this gospel, talk to your coworkers about this gospel this week if it's the most important thing in your life. If you're looking forward to sitting on the throne with Jesus, if you're looking forward to heaven being all about Jesus, go tell others about it. Worship team can come. Come on. You guys look great. But that's, that, that's it. That's the gospel. It's what we live for. It's what I live for. It's what I breathe for. It's what I want to die for. I want to spend my entire life. I want, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy, at the end of his life, I've poured it all out. I've, my life is poured out like a drink offering. I have nothing left because my entire goal was the gospel, to give the gospel. That was my mission. He said, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, but my mission is to give the gospel. If you have never received the gospel, my prayer right now, this morning, you would receive the gospel. Bow your heads, close your eyes right now. Pray this prayer to the Lord. It is not the words that save you, but it is the attitude of your heart that God can forgive you and set you free. He will change you. He will transform you. You just have to surrender it all to him. Give him your life and he will give you eternal life. Say this prayer. Say, God, right now, say this prayer. God, come into my life and save me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. 
and I receive you into my life now. Thank you for saving me. Now, if you prayed this prayer, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, please. If you prayed this prayer, I would ask that you would go to the prayer chapel. It's over here to my right and your left. When we dismiss, there'll be people in there that would just love to explain to you what the gospel is more and answer any questions you may have. But it's your opportunity. If you've prayed that prayer, then God has saved you. Christ has come into your life and you will never be the same. And I praise God for that. But don't leave here without going to the prayer chapel and letting somebody know. And we want to rejoice with you. It's a great decision. And we want to encourage you. We want to go through this process with you. And I want to pray. Lord, thank you for every man, woman, and child in here. God, we love you. And because we love you, Lord God, we're about your gospel. God, forgive me when I'm not about your gospel. Forgive me when I'm about my own happiness or my own satisfaction or my own things that I want in life. God, forgive me when those things crowd out your gospel in my life. God, I pray that I would be known for the gospel, to proclaim the person and work of Jesus Christ to everyone. Lord, I pray that we as a church would, would disciple and we would teach people and love people on their journey as they've received the gospel. Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.